Hey, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, uh, I see that uh, we have we have some people out this morning. I know they're suffering. Uh, many are, are still without electricity. Um, let me say something that encouraged me this week was when uh, the storms hit uh, the amount of people that I witnessed within the body extending themselves to help other people. So let me just uh, salute you guys, commend you guys, and, and say well done in that endeavor. And uh, as opportunities present themselves uh, moving forward to aid and assist people, I pray and hope that uh, you'll seize that, right? You'll seize that, that opportunity. And uh, so uh, bless you. Now, today uh, we are transitioning into Exodus chapter 24. We had closed out uh, last week chapter 23. And where we find ourselves at today is basically a hinge, a hinge moment in Exodus by which everything moving forward uh, is built upon what we're about to witness in Exodus chapter 24. And it's only going to be through uh, roughly the, the first 11 verses what we're going to look at today. Now let me say this kind of as a disclaimer uh, because I'm not so crafty nor do I plan so far ahead that I would be able to work this out. It is just what it is and we'll just call it divine appointment kind of thing, right? You know, we'll just trust that God's got the schedule, right? Now you guys know um, we share in communion uh, the first Sunday of every month. You know, we like to do that. We like to, you know, every uh, month, the first Sunday, we like to share communion. Today's the first Sunday, so we're going to share communion. Just so happens, today is the 49th message out of Exodus, and in the scripture we're going to study today and share today is the consummation of the covenant of God between him and his people. The shedding of blood. It's the exchange that they take, the agreement, the vows, the marriage, if you will, that takes place today. And so at the end of the service, we too will be celebrating that covenant that you and I find ourselves living under in Jesus, right? So I don't want you thinking, man, that, that Trent was crafty with a schedule, man. He had all this lined out, man. He thought back 48 sermons and thought, man, that 49th sermon, we're going to drop that one on the first Sunday of the month so we can share communion so it coincides with the first covenant, right? I'm not that smart. Matter of fact, I'm not even close to that, right? So I just want to encourage you this morning that when we share the elements, Right? When we share the elements and we consider what Jesus has done for us, it's not through manipulation, it's not through scheduling, it's just the way things have fallen under the direction of God. Amen, Greg? We can work with that, right? Okay, Exodus, Exodus chapter 24. We have a new man in the control room back there, one Jeremiah Nordyke. And uh, uh, when you see Jeremiah back there, he, with, that, with that beard, he, he kind of looks like an Old Testament prophet. So I don't want you to think uh, Moses or Aaron or any of those are back there. That's just Jeremiah, okay, with his, you know, just beautiful beard. Well, I'll just leave it. I'm jealous. Man, if I could grow a beard like that, I'd, I would look like Moses. I'd let that thing grow, man. You'd have to chase me out of here, right? Okay, Exodus chapter 24. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of preface what we're about to share because sometimes when we read the Scripture, there's a level of continuity that's kind of maintained in the Scripture, like a flow, man, from a chapter to chapter, verse to verse. Man, and you see it, right? I mean, you can just see the smoothness of, and the, the ease of the transition. And then there's other times in the Scripture when we uh, traverse from chapter to chapter where it appears to be a hiccup and, and things don't kind of jive so much. And so I want to go ahead and share with you, as we read the Scripture, the events that are taking place from chapter to chapter chapter are not always on the same timeline, nor are they always in chronological order. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes there's things that are happening that didn't necessarily happen as we were thinking as this, uh, uh, this, this thread of time stringing everything together. Sometimes there's things that might happen in this verse that actually uh, followed after the events of the verses following that verse. You see what I'm saying? And that's what's happening, I do believe, 
uh, in the scripture we're about to read. And the reason I believe that, if you go back to chapter 23, Moses uh, is in this exchange with God, more, the, more or less the, a receiving from God, right? He had gone up to be with God. Now when you read chapter 24, one of the very first statements that's read in chapter 24 is what? Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord. Well, that makes absolutely no sense, right? If Moses at the end of chapter 23 was already in the company of the Lord, and then in the beginning of chapter 24, God says, come back or come back up to the Lord, what then would it suggest? Is, what would it suggest? I'll tell you what it implies. It implies that somewhere between chapter 23 and chapter 24, Moses descends from the mountain. As a matter of fact, I would go so far as to su suggest to you guys that verses 1 and 2, and verses 9 through 11 that we're going to read are connected. And what takes place from verse 3 to verse 8 is an exchange that Moses had with the people prior to, prior to, uh, to uh, being called back up uh, to the mountain, back up to God. And when we read through this scripture, I think you will see this. Uh, so let, let, me, let me just open up this scripture and... and and we'll just take a look at it, okay? Now I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and then 9 through 11, and you're going to see the continuity there. And then verse 3, I believe, speaks to a conversation that Moses had with the people, which leads to the covenant, which becomes the catalyst, therefore, for uh, Aaron and his sons and the 70 elders to, to come with Moses up the mountain, which had up to this point been restricted. But now the covenant will be in place, and so God then allows a larger number of people to enter into his presence to a certain degree. So let's look at this. I'm, I'm not trying to get you lost, man, in, in some Bible study. That's not what we're trying to do. We're just trying to open up the Word with some understanding, right? Everybody with me? Okay, I'm not trying to derail anyone this morning. I'm trying to present with a sense of clarity and understanding that would benefit you leaving here today. Okay, verses 1 and 2 reads like this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. You're, you're going to notice something in this exchange here. There's, there's going to be an identifying of different groups. When it identifies the 70 elders, when it identifies Aaron and his sons, and then you have a, a designation of the people. And that's the, 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 the remainders of the children of Israel in regards to this text. Okay, it says, and the people may not come up with them. Now, if you jump to verse 9, it reads like this. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. You see the continuity? You see the connection? Under his feet was something like a pavement of, made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and drank. Now, verse 3, now you can see that connection right there. God directs them. They respond. But when you go into, uh, into the rest of the scripture, it, 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 it kind of looks a little bit different. As a matter of fact, in verse 3, it says, When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Now, I believe what happened right there is this is the descent of Moses prior to going back up. He comes down when the scripture says right there, when he uh, shares with them all the word, the Lord's words and the laws. In the Hebrew uh, religion, the, if, if you're a Jew, uh, they don't refer to the, the Ten Commandments as you and I would refer to the Ten Commandments as the Ten Commandments. They refer to the Ten Commandments as the Ten Words of God. That's how they would refer to it. So when, you're, when you see this written, that's what it's referencing. The laws that are, are being referenced right here isn't the commandments, but it's the case laws that God had given them to govern the society which we covered uh, throughout 22 and 23. Are you tracking with me? You with me? I need Because listen, I need to know your wagon still, right, connected to the tractor 
I don't want to get you lost out here in the field. You know what I'm talking about? I need you connected this morning because when we get to the end of this, you're definitely going to need to be connected. So let's, let's just open up this scripture. Let's work our way through it, okay? Let's do this. Father, in Jesus' name, bless the reading and the preaching of your word. Father, remove any barriers or obstacles. May we be hidden in your presence. May the people of God, the sons and daughters of God, receive from your word with understanding, with, with an illumination in their spirit and their, and their heart and their minds, that they see you, Lord, and having seen you, be altered and changed in the name of Jesus. We pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen? All right, one and two. Scripture says this. Then the Lord said to Moses. Then the Lord, now I could park right here, Ronnie. I could park right here. We could talk about this for a while. Because every time I read something like this, Mike, then the Lord said, it triggers a, 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 an inquiring response for me. You know what I'm talking about? Every time I see the scripture say, and the Lord spoke, or the Lord said, something in me, Amy, automatically just kind of rises up. My attentiveness increases, my focus, because I want to know what God said. I really do. And you and I need to posture ourselves uh, to respond whenever God's word says, and God spoke, or God said, or God delivered. At that moment, man, you and I need rabbit ears, spiritual rabbit ears. Those things need to jump up. Man, you need to be locked in and in tune, right? This is the scripture. He says to them, come up to the Lord, right? Come up to the Lord. You, that being Moses, Aaron, the brother of Moses, right? Right, the patriarch of the, 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 the Levite, the priestly uh, tribe of, of Israel, right? Nadab and Abihu, his sons, right? And 70 elders of Israel. Most theologians think that these are the judges that had uh, been designated to help uh, uh, decide and, and, and to administer justice over the rulings of the, uh, of the dysfunctional people of Israel. Right? You remember when Jethro comes to Moses and said, man, designate some guys, man, that will help you carry this load? Most theologians think these are 70 of those people. Right? And this is what it says. This is what it says. And the 70 elders of Israel, you are to worship at a distance. Now, I will concede this. I will concede this. Sometimes when God calls us closer to him, closer than we've been, that can be a very scary invitation, proposition, right? Because there's something in God calling us closer that we cannot anticipate nor know what God may be asking of us, Blair. And when he brings us into that place where he's going to go into an arena of our lives that we've not allowed him into, I'm telling you, that can be frightening. Frightening. Now these cats had been sitting at the foot of the mountain and they had seen the thunderous uh, responses of God's presence. They had seen the light and they had seen multiple things that would generate fear. As a matter of fact, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, can you pull that up, Jeremiah? Verse 18. Listen to this. It says, When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, This is what they said to Moses. Speak to us yourselves and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. So, I mean, these cats have been experiencing some things. Now God is calling them closer, even though they're, they, they've been elected or chosen or at least designated from the masses to, to perform a certain task. They've been called closer to God. So, just like them, you and I sometimes have some reservations as God is saying to us, Craig, come on in here. Come on in here. I need, I need access deeper into your life. I need, I need all of those rooms and all of those closets in the house of your life, I need full access to. But you and I, you and I don't mind giving access to God to some degree to most of the closets. But the reality is each and every one of us have that spiritual junk drawer that we don't want God getting in, right? You know that junk drawer. You have it in your house, literally speaking, right? 
You know what I'm talking about? You know when those visitors come into your house? Man, you show them around your house. How, you show them around the clean areas of your house. And you walk through, and then all of a sudden, they got like a homing device. It always happens. When you have visitors in your house, they always, it's like, it's like some type of, of homing device that is in them and is in your junk drawer or your junk room. And all of a, they just tend to gravitate towards your junky areas. And everything in you, man, you're, you're trying to step in between the junk drawer. You're trying, you, know, you don't want them seeing the junky stuff. You don't want to see uh, uh, the evidence that you may be uh, the, the next episode of hoarders. You might be on it. You don't want them to see that, right? You want them to see the, pre the pristine things. We do the same thing to God, right? Everybody here, junk drawer, you got one? And God wants in your junk drawer, your junk drawer, he wants into the junk drawer of your life. And so when he invites you closer, you get a sense that God's shooting towards, he's got a beeline to the junk drawer. And, and so it makes us apprehensive. Because the junk drawer's got some junky stuff in it. It's got some ugly stuff. You know what I mean, don't you, Ronnie? It's got the stuff that's not really useful anymore, but you just cling to it in case. Spiritually speaking, we do that, do we not? Things that are, we're never going to do that again, but we don't get rid of, rid of those things. They still linger. The smell, the, 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 the taint nature of those items remain in the, our junk drawer. Sometimes we forget they're in there. And then they just come out. But God wants access to that. He draws them closer to him. And then this is spoken by God. He says to them, you are to worship at a distance. Now listen, I understand the application. I understand the application that God is saying you can only come so far and then he allows Moses fishing to come a little further. But he says to them, you are to worship at a distance. There is this sense of limitation and restriction, right? But there's also within that command, within that statement, within that verse, this liberating truth. And this is what God is saying to them. Wherever I've led you to, however far I've allowed you to travel, however close I've allowed you to get, that should be a place of worship. He literally says, he doesn't say just stay at a distance. He said, while you're at a distance, make that a place of worship. Worship there. Worship there. And we think in all of our brokenness, man, if I can't get as close as I've ever been to God, then God doesn't want my worship. God has invited you into a, a union and a relationship with him that even in your brokenness, your brokenness. He says, even in that spot, make that spot a place of worship. So you understand the restrictions and the limitations to what God is saying, but also you see the provision that God takes even those distant places and turns them into houses of worship. You and I both, with everything in us, should be stirred by the fact that you mean God is saying to me, even in the distant moments of my life, he is saying, don't be so distant that you cannot worship. In the Hebrew, the word worship means to fall prostrate. Fall prostrate. In the book of Revelation, the scripture says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Even the ungodly will confess this. Even the ungodly would fall. Even the ungodly will speak. Even the ungodly will worship in that sense. And it isn't because you're worthy to worship at a distance. It's because it doesn't matter. The reality of your distance to him doesn't change his value. He remains worthy. So there they are, and he says to them, worship at a distance. And some of us have a tendency to look over our shoulder at the guy who's 10, 15 steps behind us on the old growth spectrum of, of our faith. And we're like, man, why are you so jacked up and raising your hands? Why are you so free and fluid with your worship? You don't give like I give. 
You don't serve like I serve, and your hands are higher than my hands. Your songs of praise are louder than mine. What's up with you? Because that individual back there understands it ain't about them. It ain't about their distance. It's about his value. It's about his worth. So the cat, because the individual in the front who's got the crooked eye at the guy in the back is thinking it's about them. And it's about their performance. It's about how well they're doing this thing. The guy in the back struggling in their brokenness says, it ain't about me. My brokenness is, is, is a conviction upon my own life and choices. But God is worthy, right? You get this, right? Right? Listen, if you go on with nothing else, go on with that. Go on with that truth. Because when we're worshiping at a distance, you know what ends up happening? Scripture says he inhabits the praise of his people. I got a funny feeling. When we worship at a distance and his presence begins to inhabit that, we can't stay at a distance. <laughs> you, you got me, right? You know what I'm talking about, don't you, Kevin? Sometimes, man, you be there, man, and you start worshiping, God just pours out his grace on you, man. You, you see your ugliness. You see the darkness and the brokenness. And then all of a sudden, Craig, he pours himself out on you. And all of a sudden, you're like, man, I want to I wanna put this under the blood. I want to get closer to God. I want to I wanna let go of the junk drawer. And that's what happens when we worship, even at a distance. It's ultimately to bring us even closer. And to those of us who are in Christ, we understand that we are no longer at a distance, but he has called us to him closer. These are the words of the master, says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Right? Okay, we got some verses. Let's, let's get, get through these, okay? And then he says this. He said, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near. He's speaking of the elders. But then he says, and the people may not come up with him. The people, the remaining the remainder of the, of the group. Now, there is something funny because you see these guys worshiping at a distance and then Moses going further or closer to God? That doesn't relinquish them of the responsibility of worshiping. You know what I'm saying? I imagine one of the 70 guys said, well, why does he get closer? Why is he going closer? And then one of the other 70 said, what's that to you, worship God at a distance? Don't get so fixated on other people's worship. Don't get so fixated on their relationship with God. Concern yourself about your own relationship with God. Let God reward and let God move and let God promote who God sees fit to do that. Because as we draw closer, you know what's happening? There's a greater sense of responsibility. Don't jump in the bus and say, I want to be up there with Moses. Because there's a responsibility that lay, lay with Moses that none of the other 70, Aaron or his sons or his descendants had the call or the strength to bear up under. And so these 70 who came, really the, the 73, counting Aaron and his two sons, they've been brought closer, but when they're brought closer, not as close as most, but when they're brought closer, they're accountable to a different level of those who are left at the foot of the mountain. Right? This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be what? Asked. I want much, do you? Do you really understand what you're really asking for? If God stops you and says worship there, the best place for you to worship, Blair, is there. Don't put on another man's shoes that do, does, not, does not fit you. You know what you end up with wearing a man's shoes that don't fit you? You end up with blisters. You know what I mean, brother and sister? Spiritual blisters. Hmm. Okay. Now, here's this conversation. Get this. This is the conversation I believe Moses has with the children prior to going back up with the 73. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words, or the ten words, and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. 
Now this would be this would later be referenced before the consummation of the covenant. All right, so remember that he writes this thing down. Now he got up early the next morning. Now I want you to understand that right there, and it kind of speaks to what I was talking about, the order of things. If God said, come up to the mountain, I believe Moses is going up to the mountain. He's not waiting down there till the next day. He's not getting up early the next day and dealing with the children of Israel. When you read the scripture and God speaks to Moses, Moses typically responds then. Four different occasions in the scripture does it say that Moses got up early. Two of those situations is when God directed him to get up early. So when God says to him, come up, I believe Moses would have said, we're going up now. But you see in this conversation that he has spoken to the children and now he waits another day before he acts on what he has spoken to them. At this moment, he's acting on behalf of God towards the people to their benefit. And this is what it says right here. It's, it's good stuff. Now, I do love the fact that he, he, he tells them the ten words and the laws and they're in, man. You know, do you see that? Everything the Lord has said we will do. That's like my kids, when I tell them when they were little, hey, clean up your room. And then I go in their room, ain't cleaned up. And then I chastise them. I pull out the cat of nine tails and I slay them. I wear them out. I, I thrash them. No. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. All you have to do is look at my kids. You know they've been thrashed, right? <laughs> And then I'd come in there and Clark, I like to pick on Clark, but he's not here, so it's not as enjoyable. But uh, I'd go in there and I'd say, Clark, I thought I told you to clean up your room. He said, I'm sorry. I, no, 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 I, I, this ain't time for conversation. I done told you to clean up your room. Get to cleaning. And, and I'd get on him, I had to discipline him. And you know what Clark would typically tell me, young lady? You know what he'd typically tell me? He'd say, Dad, I won't do that again. And you know what I knew? I knew I'd probably be in there the next week cleaning his room with him. But my love covered that. His intention was, Dad, I want to honor you. I want to do good by you, Dad. I want to clean my room, Isaac. You know, I want to do good by you. And then Isaac came over to the house. He knew his room wasn't clean. It wasn't Isaac. He wasn't clean. But when he said it, he looked at me. He had love in his, in his heart and his eyes, maybe a touch of fear. And he, his reverence, he Say, Dad, I won't do it again. I'll, I'll clean it. And their response is such. They, they literally hear these words and they make this declaration. Everything the Lord said, we'll do it. Have you ever been there? You know, the Lord really lays something on you, Kevin. You know what I'm talking about? Now, I'm going to tell you this. If the Lord speaks to you about doing something, go ahead and share it with someone that you trust. Because when you start backing out of what God has told you, then you got an audible voice to say, hey, what did you tell me God told you? You know what I'm talking about? We need some accountability in our lives. You know what I'm talking about? We need those friends who look us in the eye and say, hey, man, your right foot's off the track. Get back on track. You told me this is the direction you were going. And we need people like that, Greg. You know what I mean? And this is what the scripture says. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. After they said, Everything the Lord has said we will do. This is like an exchanging of vows, like at a wedding. Listen, I've done a lot of wedding ceremonies. And man, I've done wedding ceremonies where in my heart I could see the fragile nature of that connection. And I would sit, Blair, and I could hear the bride and the groom exchanging these vows. And the vows were eloquent, and the vows were beautiful, and the vows were real but they were not owned by those speaking them. And I could see, I could see this wasn't going to go well. It wasn't going to go well. And yet they agreed to whatever the vows were, and the people here do that very thing. They agree, and so the scripture says, now this is extremely important right here. This is extremely important, Michael, very important. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. Now, what's up with that? Why is the altar 
the thing in the covenant that's going to represent God being built at the foot of the mountain. Do you know why? Because the people were not allowed to go further than the foot of the mountain. God had told them in Exodus 19, 12, put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. God established a barrier. He had restricted where they could go, how far they could come in. And then he says, in this covenant, because you can't reach me, because of your own limitations, I'm coming to you. And the covenant will be consummated on this altar that represents my presence at the very extent of your own limitations. And God has done the same thing for you and me. We have come to the end of ourselves, unable to fix and remedy all of our problems. And in our brokenness, we're there stretched out, empty-handed. I mean completely thin in our efforts and exhausted. And we can't cover the distance and we're reaching, but we're limited. And unbeknownst to us, though the distance is great, there's one who covers the distance and it's God himself. And here's Moses building the altar right there where they could get to. What if the altar had been built halfway up the mountain? They would have died getting to it because God's not one what? That'll go back on his word. And you say, what about the 70 that comes up? That'll be explained. And this is what the scripture says. So he set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Everybody's included, right? Everybody is in one of those tribes. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls. And the other half he splashed against the altar. You can see that, right? Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it to the people. You remember the thing that he had written down? In the earlier verse, he had written it down. That's the book of the covenant. And he takes the book of the covenant and he reads it to the people. You know what he's saying to the people? Here, I'll give you an example. If I'm up here and I'm performing a marriage ceremony for, for Amy and the prophet in the back, Jeremiah. All right? If I'm doing that, and, and I recite to them their vows, and they go through it, and they exchange them. Will you? Yes, I will. Will you? Yes, I will. And then I look back at Amy, and I say, let's do this one more time. Are you sure you want to marry the hairy-faced prophet? Do you want to honor these vows? Do you? And then I look at Jeremiah, and I say, Jeremiah, are you sure you're in this? You know what I'm, I'm saying? You better know. And so Moses, having written down everything that the Lord had given him, because he wasn't wanting to tell them the things that he thought. He was wanting to share with them what, what the Lord had said. This is what the covenant was going to be based on. Based upon it was the words of God, right? So he had written it down and he reads it to them. You know what their response is after hearing it the second time? We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey Then verse 8, it said, Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant, listen, that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. When the scripture says that he sprinkled it on them, he didn't go through three million people and just with a medicine dropper. He probably took a branch and who knows how many animals had been sacrificed. Enough to have some blood applied to everyone. And the reality is he probably took a branch and he probably dipped it in the blood and he probably just slung that stuff everywhere. Those closer may have been hit with more. Those at a distance would have been covered to some degree. Everyone was entering into the covenant. He sprinkled it on everybody. 
sprinkled it on the people. Listen to this. He sprinkled on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. You know what he's saying right there in that moment? By the power vested in me, your husband and wife. That's what he's saying. This covenant is consummated. And you know what the crazy thing about the covenant being consummated in that moment was? Is God knew they were unfaithful. Is that God comes into a covenant with a people that he knew was an adulterous people. He married a woman that he knew would be sleeping with others on the very night of their marriage and wedding day. He married a woman who had the propensity for unfaithfulness. Hence the story of Hosea and Gomer when he says to the prophet, this is what Israel is to me, the unfaithful harlot of a wife. And you know what God says when they splash the blood on the altar to the harlot of a people? I do. Think about that one, man. That is a powerful, powerful statement on behalf of God. I do. I take you and all your imperfections and your unfaithfulness In your unfaithfulness, Lynn, the Lord says, I will be faithful, though. I am faithful. In Trent's unfaithfulness, God says, I will be faithful. Here's what's crazy. This is the reason the scripture makes sense by the way I presented it to you. How do the 70 come up on the mountain? Even though God had said if they touched the mountain, they're going to die. How does the 70 come up to the mountain? Because of the blood. The penalty of disobedience had already been paid, right? The covenant had been made. And at this moment, God invites them in. They had been covered. The death of disobedience or the sin had been rectified by the sacrifices. Hence, the people can approach God to whatever degree God allows them to come in. God isn't one who would lie. The law had been met. Do you get that? Do you understand that? The penalty had been paid. You better get it because the penalty that is on you has been paid by another and another's blood that you might approach God, see? But this is what the scripture says, and we're closing with this, right? It says, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Man, that's a twister, ain't it? You say, well, hey, hold on. Let me get to that when we get down here to these. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, which is, in the King James, it'll say sapphire. The sky stone, clear as the sky, right? What they could make out. This is what it looked like. It didn't say that's what it was. That's what it, that's what it looks like, right? Look at something like as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, right? And they ate and drank. Now, okay, let's, let's touch on. They ate and drank. Well, where do they get the food in this? They got the food. Because it was what was left after the peace offering and the sacrifice. You go into the scripture in the Old Testament, you'll see that uh, the people would typically eat the, 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 the peace offering. Right? But the scripture says they saw God when John, chapter 1, verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God but the, only one, the, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made no one. Exodus 33, 20 says, when, when Moses was, in, was uh, inquiring of God and said, Let me see your glory. Let me see your, your wholeness. 
And God says to him, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. So the question then becomes, what did they see when it says they saw God? That's a difficult theological question, right? Not really. You can sum it up pretty easily by simply saying this. Well, what did they see? They saw as much of God as they could see and still live. How simple is that? They saw whatever theophany or expression of God that looked like feet on the sky rock. They saw what they could see and experience of God to the extent of their limitations. An unfaithful group of people were allowed to experience God. And the scripture says this, and they what? Read this. They ate and drank. Now, uh, do we have any George Costanzas in here? George Costanza. Do we have anybody who knows who George Costanza is? Okay, we got like four honest people. They're like, I don't know who George Costanza is. I've never seen an episode of Seinfeld. Okay, all right. You know, it was on in the 90s. You know, God's grace will cover you back to the 90s, right? There's an episode uh, of Seinfeld where George Costanza, being the scoury, old, dirty, low-down, selfish character he was, he was at a, uh, I don't know if it was a funeral or maybe, no, I think it was a funeral, and he goes to get a chip. Y'all remember this? And he thinks no one's looking. You know what he, you know what he does? Uh, who said that? He doubled. See, one, uh, two. We got two honest people in this thing. He double dipped. Remember, the guy caught him. Said, Did you double dip? Remember, uh, uh, Donnie Brook breaks out at the funeral because he had double dipped his chip. When the scripture talks about they ate and they drank, that's literally what they're doing. And in the Jewish culture, that's kind of what it's sim symbolic of. Man, they get together and everybody is exchanging whatever they've got on their hands. They're dipping, eating. It's, it's an idea of coming together and being one. Literally being one. And God allowed them to see whatever expression that they saw in him though they were unfaithful, and he let them in their unfaithfulness, projected unfaithfulness, to eat and drink in his company. The incredible thing about that scripture is it's consistent. It's consistent regarding the nature of God. It's so consistent that it expresses itself generations later. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read a verse to you. And it's in Matthew, a couple of verses, chapter 26, verse 31 through 35. Okay? Because we're talking about God allowing an unfaithful group of people to gather in his name to eat with him, to experience him and drink with him. Then Jesus told them, who did he tell? The disciples. This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, all, every one of them, not just Peter, every one of them. You know what Jesus could have said? You're all going to be unfaithful. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. That's a pretty bold statement. You know what Peter was saying? Everything the Lord says I'll do. That's what he's saying really. He's got that same spirit as the Israelite people. No, 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 Lord, that's not me, man. I'm, I'm going to keep this covenant. You know, you can see it, right? You can see this in Peter. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Now listen to this. And all the other disciples said the same. Man, it smells very familiar, does it? Kind of looks familiar, doesn't it? Do you know why it looks and smells and sounds so familiar? Because if you go back a couple of verses, you know what they were doing too? They were eating and drinking in the presence of the Master. They were celebrating a peace offering in the company of Jesus. 
As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 26, that's what it says. He literally gave it to every one of them. He allowed every one of them in. He gave it, he said, this is my body, this is my blood. Come and eat this. And you know what he knew, Nathan? He knew what he said verses later. You're all going to fall away from me. But you know what he did, Michael? Before he said that, knowing they would do that, he said, come on in, boys. Come on in. Come on in. And he's drawing people in that he knows are not going to be faithful. And he loves us so much knowing that Greg, he still draws us in. He drew me in. And those many times that I've failed him and I've gone back to him and I've said to him, Lord, I'll never do that again. And he knowing that I have the propensity to do it again says, you're forgiven. Come on in. And that we should celebrate. And so we gather here today and the elements are right there. Right here. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Danny if he would come forward. I'm going to ask Dennis. Dennis, would you come forward? And what we're going to do today, yeah, today is we're going to take communion. God sees you. God knows you. God knows your limits. God knows your failures. God knows your deficiencies, your insecurities, your propensities. He knows your pride issues. He knows your selfishness. He knows your greed. He knows your lust. He knows your wayward spirits and your wandering mind. He knows every bit of that. He knows all of your ugliness. He knows about the junk drawer and all of its contents. And still what he says is come and dine, come and dine, come and dine. And if that's not enough to move you, not in here but out there, to respond to God's goodness, I don't know what will. To a God who looks and observes everything in that drawer, It says, I want you. That's what the scripture says, that he died for us, Kevin, not when we were at our best, while we were yet sinners. Christ died for Chase and for Trent and for Billy, for Ronnie and Michael and Jeremiah the prophet and each and every person for Donnie, for Kathy and Harold and Otis and his whole family. In your worst of moments, he saw that and he said, I will give myself. And in that altar, because the things of the Old Testament are just a shadow of the things that are, the blood of Jesus basically was applied to the mercy seat, if you will, if you'll allow me to use the phrases as such, to seal this covenant a better covenant, as the scripture would say. Not a covenant accomplished on the blood of goats, but a covenant consummated through the blood of Jesus. That's what Colossians says. That's what Colossians says. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, being Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself Apokatalaso is the Greek, and it means to bring back to a former state of harmony. To reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross.
so what we're going to do is we're going to come and take these elements, right? And what I say to you this morning, my brothers and my sisters, I care not if you're a member of the quote-unquote TDC family. If you're part of the body of Christ, part of the family of God, a son or a daughter of our king, if you are that person, if you're in that covenant, if you've been covered by that blood, if you've embraced that covenant, that work of Jesus, then this is for you. Anyone who's under that, is, this is for you. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to stand up on the outside, okay? And you guys know how we typically do this. We're going to go on the outsides and we're going to work our way back, amen? That's what we're going to do. And when we get to the back, we're going to start on the front rows right here. We're going to work our way around, and we're going to come down, and we're going to get the elements, okay? That's what we're going to do. Once you get the elements, and in your cup, you're going to have two cups. We double dip here, right? We double dip. You're going to have a cup that's going to hold the bread underneath your juice. I feel, I feel pitiful even calling it juice. Borderline sacrilegious to say that. And when you take, get those elements, I want you to return to your seat. I want you to ponder, consider what that's all about. And then you and I, unified, are going to take those elements together. Not unified in our political positions. Not unified in, in our uh, perfect, in sync theology. Not unified in all the peripheral uh, outliers, but unified in Jesus. Ultimately, the only thing that really matters, we're going to take it together this morning. Amen? So I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to please come. Take, take the elements, brother, sister, do this. Don't pass this opportunity up. Father, in Jesus' name, we understand what took place. We understand the allowance we understand what you are doing. Oh God, to an unfaithful group of people, just like us. Lord, we read about their unfaithfulness and how, how you desired to cover them and to provide for them and to nurture them, and yet they turn from you, Lord. It's so much like us that we don't quickly stand to condemn them but we quickly stand in their same spot begging and pleading for mercy. They look like us and smell like us and sound like us and act like us. But the beautiful thing about the story, Father, is that you're the same. And as you pursue them, you pursue us. For that, Lord, we are eternally grateful. So, Father, your sons and your daughters come this morning, each person to examine their own heart. That's what your word says. We should examine ourselves before taking of the elements. And so let every person do that this morning. Consider, take those and consider what it is that we're taking. In the name of Jesus, I ask you to come this morning. The outside first, would you come?